Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to wrap up chapter 2 today as we continue our walk uh, through this book. I want to, Pastor Jared's going to come and talk to you about it later on, but I just wanted to kind of point this out to you right now. Um, on your chairs or right around you, you have those little bunches of cards, little business cards that say Fall Festival. Um, if you need a reminder, please feel free to keep one, but I want you to take them and invite people to come. Um, we don't do this necessarily for our kids to have an alternate to Halloween. If we did, if we were doing that, we'd do it on Halloween. Uh, we do this as an outreach to our community to give our community a place to go, a safe place to go celebrate this time of the year. So next Sunday night, we need all hands on deck. Um, there's places for you to sign up. Again, Pastor Jared will talk to you more about that. But I wanted to highlight your invitation cards and uh, encourage you to take them with you. Take them to your place of business, to your neighborhood. Knock on a door. Maybe this is an opportunity to get to know your neighbors um, and invite people to come next Sunday night, okay? So we'll be in uh, second Th or first Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be talking about the last part of that, uh, that chapter this morning. There are, uh, as we look at Scripture and as we come in here every Sunday morning, um, and open the Bible and talk about it. Um, I don't want you to take that for granted. Some of us in this room come from church traditions uh, that did not open up a Bible on Sunday morning, and maybe that sounds crazy to some of us in this room, um, but that is not an unusual experience anymore in churches um, where you could show up on a Sunday and literally never open a Bible. Um, and so we're going to do our best to get into Scripture this morning and every Sunday morning, and one of the reasons we want to do that is because we think that we believe that uh, God's Word, the Scripture, is the Word of God, um, that it has the rule of life for us. Um, and so we want to get into that and see what God has to say to us today. There's really only two ways to approach Scripture. Um, you can receive the Bible as, as God's Word, as the light of God to us, God's revealing of Himself to us, or you can reject God's Word. There is no middle ground. You don't get to accept pieces of God's Word. You don't get to accept the parts of God's Word that look good on a bumper sticker or on a plaque on your house that you really like. You accept God's Word as being God's Word. You accept Scripture as being the Word of God for us, or you have to reject all of it. Those are really the only two options that we have. And we'll be looking today um, at what it means to welcome it, to receive uh, God's Word. If you're going to receive God's Word, it's going to change everything about your life, how you parent, how you work, uh, how you spouse, is that a verb? How you uh, are in your marriage with each other, um, uh, how you plan your life or you don't plan your life, it's going to change everything. Everything will be impacted if you really receive Scripture as the Word of God. If you choose to reject it, it has consequences, and if you choose to receive it, it has consequences. So Scripture's already laid this out too. God's already told us, listen, if you're going to live life the way I want you to, the way I'm instructing you to, quite frankly, God says the way that's best for you, if you're going to receive my word and live life my way, there are consequences to that. If you're going to reject it and live life your way or try to pick and choose which parts of Scripture you're going to listen to and try to obey or not obey, if you're going to pick and choose, there's consequences to that too. God has already set that up. I, I kind of throw this out there, and don't, don't um, get um, defeatist on me here a little bit, but I want to throw this out there. Some of you are, are living a um, hard life right now, and in your mind, you're like, oh, God has chosen to set himself against me. He's, um, he's picking on me in particular. Um, nothing good ever happens to me. God doesn't love me, whatever that is. And here's what I would probably say to some of you in this room this morning. 
some of what you're experiencing is the system that God's already set up. I, I, I want to read this to you, and I want to tell you this is kind of the, the, the principle that God has already set up for us, okay? He says, see, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord, your God, that I'm giving you today, the curse, if you, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn away from them that I command you today by following other gods. God has said from the beginning, that's Deuteronomy. He has said from the beginning, listen, I'm going to set these two things up. If you will listen to me, if you will trust me, if you will believe in me and live this life the way that I'm instructing you to live, the very best way that you could live it, I'm going to bring you blessing. If you choose to reject that and pick and choose what you think is best for you and the best way you're going to live life, if you pick and choose which parts of Scripture you're going to listen to and obey, there's a curse for you. So I want you to kind of get that in your head. God has already set up a system. And I think in His kindness, He's already been really clear about it. There's not like a hidden door. Like God doesn't say choose one, two, or three, and then you'll decide, you'll find out which one is a blessing or a curse. He's been real clear from the beginning. I have set this way out for you to live. I've been very clear with you about the way to live. And if you go my way, there's blessings for you. If you go your way, there's curses for you. Choose. Right? And some of us are experiencing that today in our lives. And it's not that God arbitrarily decided to set himself against you. It's that you have chosen to accept part of his word and you've chosen to reject other parts of his word. And there's a curse that comes with that. That's the system that God has set up, right? So we see that from the very beginning, and that's really the only two options that we have. How will you approach all of life is the question today. How will you approach all of life, every single bit of life? Will you approach it submitting to the Word of God, receiving the Word of God, believing that, and, and letting it be your rule of life, or you, will you reject it? So that's really what we're going to look at. We're going to see that throughout this, this text today. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look in verse 13. We ended in verse 12 last week. He says, so for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. So you received it and accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. I think I could spend the whole day on verse 13. I won't, but I could. It says that they welcome God's word and they receive God's word. Or they received it and they accepted it. Those are some of the, the words that we see here. But they accepted God's word, they received God's word. And that, I want to ask at the beginning, is that kind of a struggle for you? Or, uh, because we live in a highly educated, um, Western, I'll use the word scientific, um, let's see, evidence-based culture. We want to see things proven. And so for some of us in this room, the idea of accepting this 5,000 to 7,000 year old book as God's word is really hard for some of us to swallow. It really is. We like the idea of Jesus, and we really like the idea of the red words, like we go to the gospels, like, see, that's like the legitimate stuff that Jesus said. We really like that, but we have a really difficult time with the, the rest of scripture. And so here's what I want to ask you. If you struggle with God's word, I want to challenge you with something this morning, and here's my challenge. I want to say, what did Jesus think about scripture? If you read God's word, if you read the gospels and you see how Jesus handled uh, the scriptures, what it was it that Jesus thought about scripture? How did he use the scripture? Did Jesus think that Adam and Noah and Jonah and Elijah were actual historical figures? 
What did Jesus believe about the law and wisdom and the prophets? Did they have any authority? When Jesus used those words, those Bibles, uh, verses, and scriptures from the Old Testament, how did he treat them? Did he think they had any authority in his life? I think if you're lazy, if you take a lazy reading of scripture and you read the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus believed that the Old Testament scriptures were reliable and authoritative. It, you can't go through the stuff that Jesus says. What's the very first thing that he does? He preaches a sermon, repent and, and, and believe because the kingdom of God is at hand. He goes to the, the synagogue and he reads from an Old Testament text in Isaiah and he says, behold, these words are fulfilled in your presence today in, my, in me. You have all these instances in, the, in, in Jesus and the Gospels of him taking Old Testament scripture and treated it like it was authoritative. When he's tempted by Satan, what does he do? He uses Old Testament scripture. He comes at that temptation with God's word from the Old Testament. He talks about Old Testament scriptures that prove that he was the Messiah. There's this weird event in Luke um, in particular. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus goes up to the mountain. He takes his three uh, best buddies up there with him and the disciples, and they go up to the top of this mountain, and Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. And it's this weird, weird, weird event that we would have to look at some other time. But basically what's happening there, if you think about that, if you're trying to reject the Old Testament, I think you have to strike that from happening in the New Testament too. There's no way that Jesus met with Moses and Elijah if the Old Testament can't be trusted. Jesus is affirming their existence. I think the, the things that they wrote down, he's affirming their authority and He's applying what those people write in the Old Testament to his awesome majesty, which has existed from the beginning of time. So yes, Jesus treated scripture, especially the Old Testament scriptures, like it had authority. So here's my question for you. If you struggle with this and you like Jesus, you like God, and you like some of the Bible, but you struggle with it all, kind of accepting it as God's word. If Jesus had that kind of devotion to scripture, if he was committed to the Bible having that kind of authority, I think you have to ask yourself, well, I submit myself to the Bible the way that Jesus submitted himself to it. If Jesus used scripture to fight temptation like it had power to literally fight Satan, if he submitted to scripture like that, will you? If he submitted to scripture to talk about who he was, to prove that he was the Messiah, will you believe that Jesus was the Old Testament promised Messiah? If he talks about instances in the Old Testament like they were historical, actual, and factual, Will you believe that too? If Jesus has that high commitment to authority, shouldn't we? To the authority of Scripture. So they received and they welcomed God's word. That idea of receiving and welcoming, it means the first word means that they took it with their hand, and the second word means they joined it to their souls. So they received God's word and then they welcomed it, which means that they received it into their very soul. So here's another question for us, man. Can you think of one difficult thing that Scripture says? Maybe difficult for you means it would be hard to do that. That would be a tough one to obey, right? Maybe it's this, don't seek vengeance because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You're like, no, 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 I got this whole revenge plot already in, in mind. Like, I'm ready to go. You know, I'm ready to unleash it on these people who have hurt me. Is that hard for you? Maybe it's some, like in the Old Testament, it says that an axe, the head of an axe floated. Is that tough for you? What is some difficult, hard part of Scripture, a challenging thing? Is it don't forsake the, big, the gathering together of yourselves? You're like, yeah, I get a gold star because I'm here today, but I won't see you again for eight more weeks. Is that a hard text for you? 
Scripture says it's a command. Don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves. Don't forsake the gathering of the church. Some of us have a hard time believing that's an actual commandment. What about forgiveness? What about what the Bible says about sex out of marriage? What is something that the Word says that's very hard for you? This is where it gets really practical. Are you ready to receive that and welcome it now? Right now? Like the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something right now. There's been a hard thing for you. You know what Scripture says about anger. You know what Scripture says about bitterness. You know what Scripture says about lust. And you have refused to submit yourself to the authority of the Word. And right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you about something. Will you welcome it and receive it and join it to your soul or your psyche or your core beliefs, however we need to talk about that, your motivations? Will you welcome that? Yes, God, I hear you. I, I really, I hear you. And I'm going to receive that, and I'm going I'm to fuse it with who I am. What you say in your word is going to be become a part of the, my core being. I'm going to receive it, and I'm going to welcome it. Now, how did they do that? What are some practical ways that you can receive and welcome the word? I wish I totally made this up, but I didn't. John Piper did. Five things. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word. Make music with the word. Minister with it and mind it. You know it's not mine because it's alliterated, and I don't like that. But he did, which was awesome, okay? So I'm going to walk through those five things. Memorize it. I am horrible at memorizing things. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. I have random stats from the early 1990s Cowboys lodged in my brain, but I cannot memorize stuff, okay? It is a real struggle for me. So here's a scripture verse that I am, I am working on, okay? It's been like a years-long process for me. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be glorified in me, in my body, whether it be in life or by death. That's one of the scriptures that I want to have embedded in my soul so that when I am weak and when I feel like I can't and I feel like I can't get up, I will have sufficient courage so that God will be glorified in my body, whether I die or whether I live. I want that to be a part of who I am, and I want to believe that verse. I want it to change who I am. So memorize it. Music. I'm, I love music. I love music all the time, man. Um, I have it going all the time, kind of constantly. I love worship music. I love Christian music. I love it. Back in the day, like 500 years ago, when we would have all been illiterate people, in the church, if you'd have walked into a church, it would have been maybe a plain building. But one of the things, almost every church, if you go to an old church in, the, in uh, Europe, even the simple churches, they're going to have stained glass windows. And one of the reasons they had stained glass wasn't just that it was beautiful, is that it told Bible stories. And for illiterate people, those images told them the stories of Scripture. They could look at those images and go, oh, I remember the pastor saying something about that. I remembered my mom and dad telling me that story. And it would be a reinforcement of the things that they were hearing or learning on a weekly basis in their church services. I think that our church is like that now because quite, I mean, our music is like that now. Our worship music can be like that now because we are biblically illiterate people. We can read, but we do not know God's word. And I think music, there are, there are songs stuck in my head. <laughs> from when I was a student and like when I was a kid in our church and our music services, Psalm 23, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and rider thrown into the sea. I we used to sing that song. I don't know if anybody else sang that, but that's lodged in my brain and it is straight out of scripture. Oh Lord, my God, my strength, my shield, he has become my victory. It's because we sang that song and I think music can be like that. You can take scripture and fuse it into your soul with music. Make music with scripture. Minister with it. 
most of us in this room, whether you, whether you know it or not, every week you have an opportunity to minister to someone. Can you think back over this last week, whether you did it or not, but you can look back over the last week and go, oh my gosh, that was probably an opportunity to minister to someone. Does anybody have one of those moments over the last week? You may have missed it, but it was there. Almost all of us have an opportunity to minister to somebody throughout the week. And I would encourage you, if you want to take Scripture and let it be a part of who you are, receive it and welcome it, minister with Scripture, right? If somebody comes to you and talks about a lust problem, they don't need you to tell them about the five programs you use to get rid of lust. Scripture is powerful, and it can cut to the heart and the soul of the matter. Greed, jealousy, anxiety, worry, depression, anger, coveting, all of it. There is Scripture for every single one of those things. Every single one of those issues. Don't just give people an understanding ear and a listening ear. Give them scripture. Give them the power of the word of God. Receive it and welcome it as the strong word of God. And then mind it. Bind scripture. I struggle with this. I don't know if you can behave your way into believing. I think you can behave your way into legalism. So I'm really careful about how I say that. But here's what I would say. Let's just say we were on a road trip and Jordan and Jenna were in the back seat fighting. I would love for them to love each other. I'd just be okay if they quit fighting. You know what I mean? Like if they don't love each other, but they never say, I'm going to shank you again. You know, that kind of a thing. <clears throat> They're back there doing <laughs> their little styluses from their, you know, Nintendo games are sharpening them and, mm, you know. Like I'd be happy if they just don't fight anymore. I think God is kind of like that. Like when he says don't murder, he means don't murder. Whether you like it or not, or whether you don't want to do it or not, he literally means don't murder anybody. He would really like us to love each other. Does that make sense? I don't think he's content with us not just murdering, because Jesus is super clear about that, right? You say you've kept all the commandments, but you have hate in your heart, and if you hate your brother, you've murdered him. So he's not content. God's not okay with us stopping with behavior, but he's okay with us stopping bad behavior. But he wants us to move and mature into this place where he, we love him and we take scripture and if scripture isn't a restraint on, my, on the worst parts of my behavior, scripture is life to me. Scripture is sweet to me, right? And when it tells me to do something, even though I feel like I don't want to do it, I know that it's going to be the very best way for me to live life. The absolute best thing that I could do would be to live my life the way God says. So if I want scripture to be accepted and received, I have to mind it. I have to do what it says, just as a loving response to God, and it's the best way to live our lives. So that's how they received it. I think that's some ways we can receive it also. They accepted Paul's preached word as God's word. It wasn't just Old Testament scriptures. Paul was coming in and preaching to them and teaching them, and they received that as God's word. This isn't about me. I mean, I have a super low opinion of who I am and what I do up here on any given Sunday, but I do want to kind of challenge you with this. Do you think it's possible? Is it at all possible that when you sit underneath a pastor or underneath a sermon or teaching, do you think it's at all possible that God is using that preacher to initiate an encounter with you through Scripture so that he can speak into your life? Is that possible? Is it possible that you're here today and maybe you got drug here today, you didn't want to be here today, you wish you weren't here today? Is it possible that God himself, through me, has a word for you? That he wants to have an encounter with you through his word? Is that at all possible? If it's possible, I want to ask you this question. Are you listening to what God says? Even right now this morning, have you prayed that prayer? Holy Spirit, speak to me. 
right now. If you haven't, pray it now. Holy Spirit, speak to me. What do you want to say to me this morning? God's word is here this morning. It's being opened up in front of us today. You have it on your laps and on your electronic devices this morning. And it's giving us faith. It's giving us knowledge of Jesus and strength and joy so that we can grow and we can mature. Right now, while I'm speaking, God's word is going out and it is transforming your life. It's transforming the lives of the people you sit around. It can cause you to leave idols. It can cause you to love the most unlovable person in your life. It can cause you to have hope when hope seems like the last thing that you ought to have in your life. And it can, t- it can cause you to trust God no matter what. Is it possible that God's got a word for you today? If so, man, I hope you're listening to what he says. The shorter, the Westminster Catechism. Anybody do catechisms growing up when you were in church or whatever? Okay, catechisms, okay? Teachings is what it is. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says this about God's Word. The Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments, is the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. That's what we believe about God's Word. That's why we open up God's Word on Sunday mornings. That's why we talk about it and try to bend our lives around it. So Paul's telling him to receive the Word, accept the Word, and he's thankful for him. He's like, I am so thankful that you guys have listened to what I've said. You've taken the Old Testament— You've taken our teaching, and you're living it out. And he is thankful for them and how they've lived out that word. So again, I want to throw this out, and you're going to have a little homework here. Who are you thankful for? In particular, who are you thankful for because God is doing something in their life, and you can encourage that? You've seen God doing something in them. And listen, it doesn't have to be giant stuff, baby steps, right? Little things. Who is God doing something in your life, and you could encourage them? you could say to them, I am so thankful for what God's doing in your life right now. I have seen this, and it, it, it may be a little thing. You might have even missed it, but I've noticed it. And I'm so thankful that you're beginning to live the way that God wants you to live. It's the best life, and I'm so thankful for that. So I'm going to give you permission right now. If you want to text somebody right now, the Holy Spirit's like, listen, you need to do it. Your son needs that word. Your daughter needs that word. Your spouse needs that word. Your coworker needs that weed word your your neighbor needs it whatever it is if you need to send somebody a note right now do it be obedient to the lord if not do it when you get out of here uh maybe you're thankful for someone that god is using to pour into your life or somebody you know i've done this many and i know we've both done this over the years in particular with our children people who have poured into both of our kids some of whom are in the room this morning over the years we've gone to them and say listen your ministry and your life is so valuable what you're giving to my kids is so valuable thank you for loving my children well and there's been other opportunities over the years to thank people so maybe there's someone you can thank who's pouring into your life or somebody that you love you could tell them you could text them you could send them a note take them out for coffee give them a little gift i don't know whatever it is but just encourage them maybe it would be a real revelation to them because there are a lot of people who serve the Lord without any reward or any recognition ever, and it's hard. It's difficult, and it's hard to keep going. And so maybe you'd be that word of encouragement to them, right? To come to them and say, hey, keep it up. I see what God's doing through you. I see how God's using you. Thank you. Be faithful. Continue that work. Maybe your thankfulness just needs to be to God, right? God, thank you for what you're doing. When was the last time you just stopped and thanked him? We ask him for stuff all the time. When was the last time you just said, thank you, God? Thank you for bringing me that word. If you had not told me that, I would be the same slug that I was before. 
but you told me that. You gave me your word. You had somebody tell me that, and you're changing my life. I want to encourage you just to train your heart to be grateful, okay? Train your heart to be grateful. Life has a way of pushing us toward being grumpy people. I kind of wonder if the dwarves are like a continuation of your life, and it's somewhere near the end, you just go, you get grumpy. You know, that's who, grumpy and sleepy, you know what I mean? Like, that's who we get to be at the end, you know? And we just, life has a way of just pushing us, tending us toward grumpiness. How many times this last week were you just in a bad mood, and you were barking at people in your world because life was hard, or the day, or the day was difficult, or maybe life just hasn't turned out the way you want it to turn out, and you're just in a bad mood, and you're just barking at people. Train your heart toward thankfulness. Be thankful. Just stop and think, man, what has God given me? Yes, they're doing something I wish they wouldn't or not doing something I wish they would or they're mean or this is hard or life is very difficult and it's gone down a path I don't want it to go down. But God, you've been good to me. You have been oh so good to me, right? None of us could not have a testimony like that, that God has been good and kind and faithful to us. And sometimes we need to train our hearts toward being thankful because it's easy to slide into being grumpy people, right? Verse 14, they received the word. It says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us, the word hindering is going to come up again, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So what's the opposite of receiving God's word? Paul's like, I want to encourage you to receive it. You've done a great job in welcoming that, continue that. And he's like, I'm going to make this illustration. I'm going to bring up the worst group of people I can think of who have not received God's word. And for his day, that was local Jewish people. You got to remember that, that Christianity started technically as a sect of Judaism, Right? They were practicing Jews who came to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, and so they broke out of Judaism, right? Well, the Jews were not happy about that. They were angry about that. So he says, not only did they kill Christ, right? They've been persecuting the church since the very beginning of the church. So Paul's like, listen, if you want a group of people, if you want to see what it looks like to not receive God's word, to not welcome in what God has to say, look at these Jewish people who have been uh, persecuting the church, now, I believe this, that that same spirit of oppos uh, opposition, of opposing God's word, can kind of slip back into our hearts if we're not careful. We have to struggle against the tendency to listen to our will, to our plans, our agenda, our opinions, and to place it above God's word. We are constantly having that battle. I'm a smart person, I'm a capable person, I'm an experienced person, etc., etc. I'm a resourceful person, I will figure this out. I know the way to go, I know the best way. I don't like that. I feel this way strongly about that. And we constantly wrestle with placing our opinions and our plans and our agendas above God's word and then trying to twist God's word to fit what we feel about things. And it's got to be the other way around. If we're not careful, we're going to slip into that same spirit of disobeying God's word because we're constantly elevating our thoughts and opinions above it. Anything that will further our sense of, of being in charge, our little kingdom, right? Right? Um, we'll take God's word and try to do that. So here, 
he's talking about the Jews and he's talking about them avoiding the wrath of God. But really for the believer, we have to receive God's word because not only does it keep us from the wrath of God, it shows us how to navigate the sin that's still in our hearts and the narrow road that God's called us to. Scripture tells us how to overcome the sin that we have in our hearts as believers and also to navigate this narrow road that God has called us to in salvation. Then he talks about wrath, and wrath isn't a great word that we enjoy very much. We don't like to talk about it very much. The wrath of God. Why does he bring that up here? Um, And he's talking about the Jews in particular. I'm not going to give you the history lesson, but I want to point this out why he's saying this. If we go back to that Deuteronomy passage and God says, if you hear my word and accept it, I'm going to bring you blessings. If you reject my word and don't live my way, I'm going to bring you curses. Paul then brings up the Jews conceptually. Now he gets real practical and he's like, listen, we're already seeing the wrath of God being poured out against these people. So it's about 52 AD. That's about the time period when Paul's writing this letter. 52, 54, somewhere in that time period. The beginning of the end has already started for the Jewish people. They started a guerrilla war uh, against Rome during this time period under Claudius, uh, the Roman emperor. He's already expelled the Jews from Rome. He's kicked them all out, and then the major cities in the Roman Empire began to follow suit, so they were being kicked out of the major cities. Um, There were probably about 10,000 people who were stampeded on Passover in 49 AD because of some of the aggressive actions of the Jewish guard that were there. Um, Not too long after this, actually within about 20 years, 18 years, Rome will send an army of about 100,000 men and literally wipe Jewish, or wipe wipe Israel off the map. Um, It takes about a four-year siege on the city of Jerusalem um, where they just wall it off and they starve people out. Um, They were eating themselves and eating children and killing themselves, and it was this horrible, horrible, horrible uh, string of events that began to happen here. And he's Paul is basically saying, listen, there's a way to receive God's word and accept God's word and live according to God's word and blessings generally come your way and there's a way to reject it and not receive it and curses come your way and the wrath of God is being poured out on an entire people group who have rejected the word of God, literally in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why would God do that? We're like, oh my gosh, God's so mean. This is why I hate church, right? Why is God doing this to people? His wrath is always, always, always a result of sin, which is a righteous, a righteous anger. I want you to understand that. God can't respond to anger disproportionately. We can, right? I've grounded my kids for life like four times. <laughs> you are grounded forever, right? You go to your room and you stay there forever, that kind of a thing. We can overreact towards offenses and towards sins in our lives. God can't. God cannot overreact to sin. And he must react with a righteous anger towards sin. So as he pours out his wrath on people, it's not just to destroy them. It's so that even in the middle of that, read the book of Revelation, even in the middle of that, it's so that they would turn to him. It's so they would wake up and they would hear the word of God. They would receive the word of God and they would turn toward his grace to bring attention to the salvation that God has through Jesus Christ. So that's why we have this wrath here. So he says, receive the word of God. You're doing a great job. If you don't receive it, the wrath of God comes your way. This is what that looks like. Verse 17. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person but not in spirit, we were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, 
and yet Satan hindered us. Second time we've seen the word hindering or hinder here in these verses. For who is our hope and our joy and crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our, our glory and our joy. Paul is so excited about what God's doing in these people and their new lives as they live under the word of God that he calls them his victory crown. He sees himself as running a race and at the end, he doesn't get a crown or money. He gets people. And he's like, you are my victory crown. Uh, what God has done in you and what the word has done in you. The ultimate reward for ministry for me and for you, for Paul, is changed lives. Right? Changed lives. We talked about this last week, and I want to say it again. Our product as a church is not what happens on a Sunday morning. We're not producing a stage show for you. We're not producing a great message for you. We're not producing great child care for you. You, what God is doing in your hearts is the product of the church. People changed by the word of God. That's the product of the church. What's the great reward of ministry? The great reward of ministry is that people's lives have been changed by the word of God, and they change, and they are radically different from here on out. That should be our reward here at the church on a Sunday morning, but that's also your reward. Your life can be a great encouragement to other people. Paul is encouraged by what he sees from these people. Your life can be an encouragement like that. So I'm going to challenge some specific groups of people, our students, and in particular our high school students. There's a lot of you in here today. What will some of our younger students say about you? You're going to graduate soon. I was talking to Rebecca earlier. She's a senior. She's graduating, and she's like 18, and she looks back, and she goes, oh my gosh, I'm done marching. Marching band's over. If I could just go back to my freshman year and not complain so much. If I could just go back to my freshman year, I would want to, I'd do it all over again to, to have those, those days, those hours, those times, those, those uh, experiences in marching band with my friends. But now it's done, and she's, she's gone. Listen, you are not that far away from that, high schooler. You are on the cusp of being done with an entire chapter of your life, and there are younger students watching you. What will they say about you? Will they look at you and go, wow, when that person graduated, I saw God move in them. I saw that person as a godly young woman, a godly young man. Like, they loved Jesus. They had fun, and they were cool and all that. But man, they loved Jesus Christ. They were changed by the word of God. Our refuge students, if you're in refuge, our college and young career people, what are our high school kids looking up and saying about you? Our young marrieds, what are our, our refuge kids looking up and saying about you? Our mid-marrieds, our older marrieds, what are our younger couples looking up and saying about you? We have this opportunity, this opportunity individually in his church to live our lives in such a way that we encourage people with our faith, that God's word changes us, not just for our sake, but for the sake of the people who are following us, who are coming behind us. What will they say about us? Listen, I want to say this. Our little church is about 12 and a half years old. I don't know, really bad. 13 years old, probably something like that. 13 years old. My prayer is that this church goes on until Jesus comes back. Now, he may have other plans, but that's my desire that this church family would last and outlast any of us and all of our petty issues, you know, and all the things that we struggle with, that God's hand would just be on this church and it would go on forever. What's that church going to say about this church 20 years from now? Well, they look back at us and say, those people were changed by God. Those people were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Those people were empowered by the word of God. They actually committed themselves to living the way that God said, look what God's done here. We have an opportunity to be that kind of church, and I pray that we take 
advantage of that right now. I've thrown it out before. I've got to throw it out again. We are looking at building issues and location issues. We can't rent forever. We have to make some decisions. I need you to start praying about that, giving toward that. I don't know what that box is going to be. It's going to be a box. It may be this box. It might be another one. I don't know. But God's got a place of ministry for us, I think, for the long term. Amen? And if you've been here for any amount of time, we have to look back and go, wow, God's got a plan for us. Amen? <laughs> There's a reason why we're here. And we want it to go way, way beyond us. All right? So what is it that God would say? Crown of glory, what other people would say about your faith. Now, in the middle of all this, we're like, yay, God, and we're encouraging people in their faith, and the word of God's being reserved, re received and welcomed by people. There's another force at work here, and he mentions it twice in verse 16 and verse 18. And he talks about their work being hindered. The second time he says that he says, Satan, in particular, has set out to hinder our work. And I want to spend a little time here. I didn't really plan on this, but this is where God kind of had me go. So I need to spend some time on this this morning. Satan hindered them. I think we sort of run the risk and the danger of being, I don't know what the word would be, I don't want to say overly spiritual, but seeing a demon behind every chair and every rock and every tree and every plant, like there's some demon out to get me all the time. Like, I, I want to be careful about that, or, or angels, right? I want to be really, really careful about that mentality that can be a little bit crippling, actually. It doesn't encourage us at some point. It becomes a hindrance, I think, to our, our walk. But I think we in the Western world, we don't actually run that risk very much. We run the opposite risk, that we don't give the spiritual world any thought at all. Like, I dare say, at any point over the last seven days, did anybody say, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Even though... Odds are, some demonic force came against you this week. Do you understand that? Rarely do any of us give it the credence for what it is, right? Because only simplistic people think in terms of demons and angels and all that kind of stuff, right? So I want to spend a little bit of time right there. Okay, so here he goes, and he says, Satan hindered us. Here's what I would say about this. This is probably not Satan specifically, Okay. Paul's using that term as uh, all of his evil spirits. Satan is a limited, created being who is not God's equal, only evil. Some of us have a very yin-yang idea of how God works, like God is perfectly good, light, and blah, 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 and Satan is his exact equal, equal opposite, only in darkness. No. Satan is a created being. He has limitations on him, which we'll talk about here shortly. He is not omnipotent. He is not omnipresent. The odds that Satan is keeping you from keeping you on your diet are pretty slim. <laughs> That's a pun, and it was intended, okay? Secondly, here's what I would say. Satan has servants. He has evil spirits who do his bidding, who stand in his place, his place who seek to accomplish his plans, and they are in such agreement with him regarding you and fellow believers. Here's what I would say about this. I, I wouldn't have said it this strongly, and I'm gonna, I don't want to pick a scab or poke at anything that's hard for us as a church. This became painfully clear to me when, when Pastor Thomas died. Satan hates us, and he plays dirty ball. And you need, to, you need to wrap your mind around that. I'd use other language, but I would offend some people right now. He hates you. And he will do anything that he can to get into your life and tear you apart. And we don't give that enough um, credence sometimes. We call it bad luck, poor circumstances, um, luck of the draw, bad parenting. We have all kinds of psychological reasons why we don't talk about that. But I want to tell you something, man. 
Satan is out to hinder you, and he hates you, and he will kill you and destroy you if he can. He, it is not a game, and he is not messing around. How might Satan hinder you this week? What could the hindrance of Satan look like in your life this week? I think it can look like a whole lot of things. I'm going to give you one real quick. Earlier I said, hey, if you have somebody who's encouraged you, who's spoken into you, who's, who's given you something spiritually, text them, send them a note. And some of you were like, oh, I should do that. Did you? Did you? Delayed obedience is disobedience. Satan would love to hinder you just in the simple things because if you're not going to be obedient in simple things, why would you ever be obedient in big things that really matter? Simple stuff. Did you text somebody that you felt like you should text? That 10-second rule. God says something to you, do it, or you'll talk yourselves out of it in about 10 seconds. Okay? Did you receive that word, something that the Holy Spirit's already telling you about? Or did you already forget it? Are you already trying to ignore it? Satan would love to hinder you with God's word. I want you to take, he would, Satan would take God's delay in your life and tell you that God forgot you. That's how he would hinder you. Satan would take God's good things in your life and tell you to worship them. God has been so good to us, and some of us are worshiping the very things that are the, just the gifts from God. They're not God. They're the good gifts from God, and we've made them ultimate things. Satan would hinder you in your worship and your adoration of God with all that you are and all that you have. Satan would have you take God's conviction in your life and tell you that God doesn't love you. Some of us feel badly and we feel great distance in our relationship with God. And listen, I want to, it's because you're sinning. And the Holy Spirit of God, one of his jobs is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And some of us, Satan would like to take that righteous, holy, good conviction of sin and tell you God doesn't love you because you don't feel good about that. God doesn't love you. He would hinder you in that regard. Satan would like to take God's change of direction in your life and tell you that God said no and you better go get it because you're not going to get it any other way. Sometimes I have some vision of my life that's A, wrong. Pollyanna too idealistic. Two, sometimes I have a vision of life and I've come to the conclusion this is what it's supposed to look like and God has a different way of getting me there. That doesn't mean that I have to be like Abraham and go get what I think is mine. How'd that turn out for all of us, right? We're still fighting those battles today. Satan would hinder you by taking God's meticulous daily, moment by moment, internal work and convince you that your sin is hopeless and you're better off just giving into it. The fight and the battle with sin is a moment-by-moment -moment thing. Every breath you take, you stand in the grace of God, and you fight the sin that's in you. You fight the temptations of the world around you. It is not hopeless. God has overcome, and you can overcome. But he would convince us that it's hopeless because it takes a long time. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9 says, Be alert, and if sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Listen, the devil may be big to us, but he is small to God. You get that one tattooed. I'm going to get a tattoo of that. I don't have one yet, but I'm going to get that one because that's awesome. Man, I can't tell you how many times this week it looks so big. You think your temptation's big, bigger than God? Really? 
You think Satan's more powerful than God? God is bigger than Satan is. Amen? Can just amen that? God is bigger than Satan is. He looks big to me, but God is bigger than him. We need to remember some of these old great teachings. Augustine, a long time ago, called Satan the ape of God, the trained monkey of God. Martin Luther reminded us that the devil is God's devil. Some of your theologists went, the devil is God's devil. Read Job. We should not take the devil lightly, but we should also realize that this is a roaring lion on a leash held by an omnipotent and loving God. What, what could drive demons crazier than for us to realize that if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that the same God who kicked him out of heaven and crushed Satan on the cross lives in my heart? What could be more demoralizing to a demon than for me to come to that realization? Wait a minute. You're telling me these lies and you're accusing me of these things? God overcame that. Jesus says, I'm his child and I'm forgiven and my sins have been thrown as far as the east as the west. And as he overcame sin, I can overcome sin. If you want to do real battle with sin and all of its effects, poverty, social, ethnic issues, injustices, you have to recognize evil. We can no longer sanitize evil. You have to call it for what it is. It's an expression of the evil in men's hearts because of sin. If you want to overcome sin in your life, evil in your life, personalize sin. Or you want to overcome or some kind of personal sin or external temptation to sin, you have to recognize personalized evil in Satan and the demons and the evil in your heart. Why do we have to do that? Because it drives us to our knees to rely on Jesus Christ. Because listen, man, you were in over your head. <laughs> this is too big. The battles you fight, the struggles that you fight, the things that you believe in your heart about you that are just lies from the enemy, it is too big for you. You are in over your head. You can't do it on your own. And here's the other thing. It's not even human. It's not natural. It can't be defeated in human and natural ways. There's things we can throw at it. Our friend Matt Barnhill, who's been here to preach before, one of the things he says is like when he has a, a problem to, to, to go after with people, he'll put like three glasses of medicine in front of them, and he'll be like, one of them's going to be psychological, one of them's going to be spiritual, and one of them's going to be physical. Let's just take drinks from all of them and see which one the Lord uses. And some of your stuff cannot be overcome by physical or psychological things. It is a spiritual issue. Or there's a spiritual component and you're just fighting it on a psychological, physical level. You are in over your head. And if we don't fight this thing on a spiritual level, we will lose. It's not the only battle to fight, but it's a huge part of the battle to fight. I think we could say every human struggle, every human struggle, cancer, a wandering spouse, addiction, depression, greed, lust, all of it, all of it is a spiritual problem. There's not one of those things that I've listed that is primarily a physical issue. There are spiritual components to all of it. And it's a problem of evil, and our enemy wants to use it to hinder us. So dads, are you ready to do battle for your family? Moms, are you ready to do battle for your family? Church, are you ready to do battle for me and your church family? Teenagers, are you ready to do battle for your friends? Gosh, man, some of you guys at our public schools in particular, 
It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, these people are nuts. You know what it is? It's a spiritual issue. Are you ready to do battle for them? There's 2,700, 2,800 kids at just George Ranch High School, y'all. There's four 5A or 6A high schools within seven miles of our church. Four. It's like 10,000 kids. Who's doing battle for these kids? If it's not going to be our students who are in the middle of those fights with them. Teenagers, are you ready to do battle for your friends at school? Workers, you go to work every day. Are you ready to do battle for your coworkers and your employers? Here's what I will tell you. Satan seeks to hinder you. He seeks to destroy you. He seeks to steal from you and kill from you. John White, if you've never read any of John White's books, I strongly encourage you to read them. He talks in particular about how Satan comes after it, and he has this great illustration. And he says, Satan is like a, a piano tuner. And he comes and he opens up a piano inside your heart, and he hums a, tune, he hums a note. And then he plucks the chords, and he finds which one vibrates to his, his tune, and then he just sings that tune to you. So for some of you, like for me, you could come to me with like crystal meth all day long. I don't care. It's just not doing anything for me. You know what I'm saying? Like he ain't singing the crystal meth tune to me. But he's singing it to a lot of people in our country, isn't he? Opioids, that's not it for me. He's singing it to somebody. Alcoholism, pornography, lust, greed, covetousness, self-hatred. He finds the one that resonates with your heart and he just sings that to you. John White says also that he, the, the, the song that he sings to you is, he only has two things to throw at us, guys. Listen, he can't create anything. You understand that? He can tempt you and he can accuse you. That's it. It's powerful and it's painful, but that's all that he can do. And he sings that song to your heart with temptation and accusation. And he comes after that string that resonates with your song in your heart. I am, now we're like, oh, Satan's evil and we should never be hindered. Here's what's awesome about this story. God always takes Satan's schemes and he incorporates them into his plan. If Paul had not been hindered, we wouldn't get First and Second Thessalonians. So just wrap your brains around that one. Some of your theology also just went, right? Always bad for Satan to hinder us. Nothing good comes out of Satan hindering. Scripture came out of Satan hindering. Same thing's true for you guys, man. God's big enough to take the schemes of Satan and weave them into his plans. That's what's called being omnipotent and sovereign. He takes everything that our enemy could want for us. Someone's like, man, pastor, this is so hard. It's so hard to deal with Satan hindering me, and I'm just going to wait for a while till my kids graduate or maybe when the grandkids move a little closer, when I make some more money, when the church doesn't start so early in the morning, I'll just wait till then. Then I won't be hindered anymore. Man, I want to just speak life into somebody this morning. Satan wants to hinder you, but he does not have the authority to stop you. Hindering and stopping are not the same thing. I think I join with him when I stop. There may be some other direction I've got to go, but you know what the deal is? I've got to get up and go. If I am convinced that God has this plan for me, my family, my kids, my spouse, myself personally, whatever it is, I've got to get up and go. There's hindrances along the way, but that doesn't mean I have to stop. Don't stop. Don't be lazy. Get up. Go on. Walk on. Walk in the direction that God has called you into by the power of the Holy Spirit. And thank God for His power that overcomes Satan, death, and the enemy. And walk in that power. Amen? That authority that God's given you. 
welcome and receive the word of God. The word of God is a gift and a treasure, and it is authoritative, and it is life-giving. Receive it like that. It's not oppressive. The, word, the Bible's not oppressive and threatening, and it doesn't need to be rewritten for modern times. It is the gift of God that gives us life. Receive it for the gift that it is. It does, it does its work in us. It gives us a faith and a love and a hope that we can have until Jesus comes back. And when you refuse, listen, think about it this way. When you refuse to receive God's word, scripture, as the word of God, authoritative in your life, you are telling God to shh. Just putting your finger on his lips and saying, oh, sh- I got it. You guys bow your heads and close your eyes. Four things. Who do you need to be thankful for? Some of you are still holding out on that text. You need to send it. Who's spoken into you? Who is speaking into you now? Who, who has blessed you? And you could just be a, a word of encouragement to them. And like literally, as obedience to God, God, you said to do it. I'm going to do it. Thank you. Who do you need to go home and call? Who's speaking into somebody you love? And they might need a word of encouragement. Second thing, what spiritual battle are you being called to fight right now? You think it's your kid, you think it's your spouse, you think it's your boss, your tax man, finances. It is. Amen. There's issues to be fought there. Man, there are spiritual issues here. Are you ready to fight that battle? You ready to get down on your knees again and fight again because it's tiring and hard? Holy Spirit, give me the power to fight. Third thing, some of you, where do you need to get up? You've been hindered. I'm not saying you haven't been hindered. I'm not making light of it in any way. Satan has come against you. Evil has come against you. You've been hindered. But you know what? You've, you've given him the authority to let you, to make you stop. He didn't have that authority. Get up. Get up. Get up and walk in the authority and the power of Jesus Christ. Where do you need to get up and walk? Last thing is this. What word from God do you need to receive? Difficult, some difficult saying of God. Just the idea that the scripture is actually authoritative and powerful. It's nice, and I'm glad we use it in church, but in your life, it just doesn't have a lot of power. Got those five M's, you can work them into your life. Holy Spirit, let me receive the word of God. The scripture as being powerful and authoritative in my life. God, thank you for this word that we have today. We're thankful for the work you're doing in us. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you that what it tells us about who we are against the lies and the temptation of of Satan. God, we stand up in the power of Jesus and we walk on. We will not be stopped by what Satan's doing. We will fight in the power of God in every area of our lives that we can. And we receive the word. We receive the word this morning as being the word of God, authoritative in our lives. Change us mold us into your image like Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Amen, guys. Thanks for being here. We're going to take